Galatians chapter 5, just the first four verses, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We even thank you for the difficult passages. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be fallen from grace. Father, I thank you that we are saved by grace, not merit. By faith, not works. Lord, thank you that you save us, that we don't save ourselves. Lord, remind us of these truths as we, as we study this passage. Lord, convict our hearts in areas where we so easily fall back into being a Pharisee. Father, help us also to understand that if we've truly received Christ, that we are secure in him. Lord, again, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. Help us to stay focused. Lord, help us to learn not just to have another fact, but it would transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, Galatians chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there. In your bulletins, if you're a visitor, there's uh, outlines. You can follow along. Today I've chosen not to uh, have any blanks, I don't believe. <clears throat> there's an interesting story about the Golden Gate Bridge. By the way, the Golden Gate Bridge has been around for quite a while. It was, it was finished in 1937. Back then it cost $77 million. Not much in today's money. But one of the things that was interesting about the bridge is it was built in two stages. The first stage started, and 23 men died in the first part of that building, that bridge. 23. And it all but halted the construction of that bridge. And so the architect and the engineers and the contractors and, and all were put their heads together, and they decided because the work on the bridge had just pretty much come to a halt because of all those deaths, they built a net underneath the bridge so that when the guys were working, if they did fall, they would be caught. And at that time, it was a lot of money, $100,000. But they built this net. A number of men uh, fell but were rescued because of the net. And the, um, and, the, and the time it took the second part of the bridge to be built was 25% faster than the first part. Now think about that. Because they had security, they had confidence. And because they had confidence, their production went up. And you know, a lot of that actually holds true to a Christian. If we understand our security in Christ, our confidence obviously goes up. I mean, if once saved, always saved is true, then we are confident in the Lord. And if that's true, our fruitfulness will be so much more. Because we're confident in the Lord. Otherwise, if we're not secure in Christ, if we really think we're going to lose our salvation, what may start to happen in a person's life is they start working to assure their salvation. You see what happens? And that's very dangerous. You, you fall very easily into Phariseeism. By the way, I think we're all, in some respects, recovering Pharisees. I, I think for people, we, we have a works-based mentality as we grew up until you met Christ. There's a tendency to fall back into works. 
there's a tendency in this way to think that somehow I'm pleasing God in my own right, in my own works. And we have a tendency to move away from all that Christ did for us. Now, it is true, it is true that if we obey God, we, we are pleasing Him. But we obey God because Christ's grace works through us to please God. We somehow, it's easy for us to somehow think that, well, I lived a good life this week, therefore God is pleased with me. Well, the reality is, even if, even if you sinned this last week, God is still equally pleased with you in the sense that you are, you're standing in Christ. Okay? Everything is grace. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and we're going to be trying to delve into this deeper. Everything that we, all our, our entire standing is because of grace. Now, again, it is true that we can please God by being obedient, but it's because of grace. And this passage that we're in, we're in uh, Paul is encouraging the Galatians to stand firm, right? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. As we looked at last week, this standing fast is, a, is the image of a soldier. And, and, and what we're supposed to stand fast in is grace, is, is the fact that we are justified by faith. That if you are saved, if you came to the knowledge of the truth, if you understand the gospel, that you can't save yourself, that Christ died for you on the cross, and you've put your faith and trust in Him, that's what saves you. Your faith in the sacrifice of Christ for you, the sinner, because your sin condemned you before God. And Paul says, stand fast in this. Because again, as you remember in Galatians, the Judaizers, the legalists, the law keepers were basically telling the Galatians, who many of them were saved, listen, you, you need to go beyond just, just faith in Christ. You need to start keeping the law and get circumcised and all those other things because that's going to help you become more Christian, more standing before God. You've got to work some because you're really going to please God. And Paul says, no, stand firm in the fact that is by Christ and Christ alone. The liberty, the freedom which we have in Christ. And again, I think, I think we have to be very strong in this day and age. As I said last week, there are a lot of slave religions out there. What do you mean, slave religions? A lot of religions that are based on works. That you're doing something to please God. Again, whether it's a non-Christian Religion such as Hinduism or Islam or Mormonism or Jehovah Witness or Judaism. Doing something. But there's also Roman Catholicism doing something. And we have to stand firm. By the way, I know every time I say Roman Catholicism, you're banging... Ro no, no. You, you know what it is? Is we, You have to understand that true salvation is by faith alone. And by the way, I think you can stand very strong as a soldier since you're in Galatians. Just go over chapter 6, verse 1. We'll be there in a couple months. But, um, well, we will. Oh, you're laughing because you think it's going to be longer than that. Um, but no, if you're going to... But listen, when you seek to bring someone around and help someone, I'm not saying as a soldier you come in with guns blazing, swords, you know, slashing. Look at how you should approach a person. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, ones that walking with the Lord, restore such a one what? In the spirit of what? Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. What's that? Humility. So again, as I speak of being a soldier, I'm saying you can go humbly, gently, but stand for truth. 
Just stand for truth. Don't back down on the fact of truth. So again, stand firm. You can go back to chapter 5. As we go through chapter 5 and 6, we're going to be referring back to this idea of becoming a recovering Pharisee. See, when we get into the fruit of the Spirit, we can counterfeit the fruit. We can act like a Pharisee. We can put things into place in our life and not depend on the Spirit to produce it, but just our own self-effort. That's a recovering Pharisee. So again, this stand fast really applies to the rest of the book. Well, Paul goes into verse 2, and he's given us three things that we... uh, three reasons why if we depend on works, why it's fatal. In other words, why is working for your salvation fatal? The consequences of trusting your own works. Number two, verse 2, because Christ will be of no benefit to you. That's the first reason. If you depend on your works, Christ is of no benefit. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, and, of, and, and again, circumcised for the purpose of keeping the Jewish law. If you do it for that reason, Christ will profit you nothing. So you could say it this way. With Christ, it is all or nothing. It's not Christ plus. It's Christ, period. It's all or nothing. To receive him by faith is to admit that we cannot save ourselves. We must let him do all of our salvation or he will do none of it. That's important. Number two, because you will be a debtor to keep God's entire law. Verse 3. And I testify, and again, that's a very strong term, testify. I'm telling you, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. If you're going to be circumcised to keep the law, somehow thinking you earn a little bit of your salvation, you are a debtor to keep the whole law. All 613 commands. You're going to have to keep the whole thing. And again, what does James say? Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever shall keep the whole law... And yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. No, no, you don't want to go down that path. In other words, we need to learn to bask in, in Christ's grace. Now again, when it comes, to, does that mean that we don't do anything? Does that mean we're not supposed to be fruitful? Absolutely. I mean, we're going to see that, and I think it's next week. But the thing is, is when it comes to salvation, it's grace. It's all grace. By the way, that should just overfill your heart. This morning with the music, the worship, I'm always in the front, so I get to hear everything behind me. Drowns out my voice. Great. But the point, I mean, we should be singing. It's all grace. If If you stand before the Lord saved, it's because the Lord saved you. Not because you were a little bit better than so and so. And there's not stages in heaven. Isn't that great? And there is no purgatory. You're either in heaven or hell when you die. And if you're in heaven, you're in heaven. Complete, right? Complete. So again, Christ will profit you nothing, though, if you you depend on the law. Well, how about the third one? This is where we'll end today. Um, Because you will be cut off from, from the grace of Christ, Jesus Christ. He says this, You have become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by the law, the law, i.e. circumcision and all the law. You have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. There's a number of passages in uh, the Scriptures, one in John 15, one in Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, and this one. That really seems to look at and think, it almost seems to say that you can become unsaved. And so I, I thought we should spend an entire... Um, message on just the, uh, the fact of the security of the believer. 
In fact, next week we're going to look at it from a different vantage point, but still hitting that same main point that we are secure in Christ. But what does it mean to be fallen from grace? I mean, can a believer lose his salvation? By the way, if you believe you can lose your salvation, you're working really hard. But you're doing it in the flesh. You're doing it in the flesh. And you're not pleasing God. Because one, you're not understanding what He's done for you. You've minimized grace. If you think you can lose your salvation, you've minimized grace. You really have. You've minimized it. Because now, who's saving whom? How are you keeping your salvation? Is it God rescuing you when you were not seeking Him? Or is it that you somehow are playing it out in your own life? See, we have to be careful. This whole doctrine of salvation, eternal security, is huge. Because if you believe it, certain things will probably happen in your life. And if you don't believe it, certain other things that I believe are very dishonoring to the Lord. You gotta, I mean, this is an important doctrine. So again, can believers lose their salvation? Right from the start, I'm going to say no. You can't lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Now, there might be a lot of people walking around that profess Christ that aren't saved. By the way, when, when he says in, in uh, Matthew 7, Jesus says, you know, about the wide gate and the narrow gate, you know, the wide gate, and a lot of people go through there, and the narrow gate, and very few people go there. He's talking specifically in that passage to religious people. See, these are not pagans. These are people that were doing certain things, thinking that they were moving their way towards heaven versus the other. And the reason that one is wide and the other is narrow, because so few understand grace. See, yeah, there's a lot of people on the wide path that believe in grace, but they believe in grace plus. They believe in Christ plus. Something else added. That's a wide gate. There's a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I've got to do all these things. You know, I believe in Christ, but... No, the narrow gate is one who truly understands grace. Well, let's get in this passage. And again, at, at first you're going to say, whoo, boy, that sounds like this person is not saved. First of all, it says that they've been estranged from Christ. That word means to be alienated, to be severed, separated, loosed from. Since Paul is talking about circumcision in verse 2, 3, and I believe he's uh, uh, referring to it justified by the law in verse 4, I think he's playing off of this idea of circumcision when he uses the word estranged. Severed. Think about severed. What is circumcision? It is the severing off of the male foreskin. Okay, we won't go any any farther into that. But in the old covenant, this was a way of saying that the Jew was separated from the world. That's why they were circumcised. They were separated, and since sin was passed on through the male, it was that that um, you know that's where uh, uh, original sin kept being you know passed down through. So God gave it to Abraham to be passed down that if you're one of my people, you're circumcised. Why? Because it shows that you've been separated from the world unto me. God speaking. But it was also a way of saying that if he ever rejected God, he himself would be cut off from God's people. That's the other part of the circumcision. You're separated to God, but if, but again, if, if he ever rejected God, he would be cut off. Here Paul was telling the Galatians, as one man said, just the opposite. If these who, who were believers, or at least professed believers, belonged to the new covenant, were circumcised as part of their salvation, they would be cutting themselves off from Christ. In other words, if you're going down that path, now again, I believe this, if they are true believers, absolute true believers, they're going to understand that it's not law, it's grace. But he's saying, listen, if, if you go down this path, you're cutting yourself off from Christ. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's just a very intense word right there, alienated. 
Again, the word fallen, the other part in the last part of verse 4, the word fallen from grace means to lose one's grasp on. It's like the, the flowers that fall away in 1 Peter chapter 2. The petals fall off the stem. It was used in 1 Peter. Again, the whole point of this verse 4 is you cannot live by the law and grace. If you attempt to be justified by the law, then you reject the way of grace. Now, so again, I, I believe this. Because as I've been thinking, okay, now why is Paul saying this? He's setting it up from a man's perspective. You know how Samuel says God looks at the heart, man looks at what? Man looks on the outward, God looks at the heart. I believe Paul is, is talking to the Galatians. Now again, this is through a letter, he's not in person. And, he, and he's talking to them from a man's perspective. Okay, he's, he's telling them, listen, I'm just telling you this stuff. Because he's talking to a group that they've all professed Christ. Now again, they have the Judaizers that are coming in trying to move them away from Christ into the law, into works, into merit salvation, which is all damnable. But again, he's talking to them and he's saying, listen, I want you to think about this. So he's, he's talking to them from an outward point of view. See, in other words, he's not, he's not speaking to them. This is the point. From God's perspective, he's talking to them from man's perspective. He's saying, listen, if you're trying to just get saved with grace plus, it's not going to happen. So again, I believe that these verses are not dealing with the security of the believer actually at all. This is not about a person who has been justified becoming unjustified. Why do I say that? Because nowhere in Scripture does it ever show that a person that is justified can become unjustified. It never says that. In fact, even over in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, you might want to write that down. It's interesting because all the verbs are in the aorist indicative, which means fact, fact. And in the last part of Romans 30 verse, or 8, verse 30, says this, Moreover, whom he predestined, in other words, destined for an end result, destined, that's each believer, he called, and he, those he called, he justified. Fact. Indicative. Fact. And whom he justified, these he glorified. It's an indicative. Fact. It's a fact. The idea is this. Your glorification, if you're a believer... Your glorification someday is, is as secure and as much of a fact as you being justified at this very moment. It's not this. And those whom he justified, fact, indicative, those he glorified, subjective, like maybe, like maybe it's going to. No, no, it's indicative. It's, it's a fact. Once, once God sets out to justify a person, it's as though it already happened, even though none of us have been glorified yet. It's a fact. The only way that could, the only way that could not happen is if God stops being God. Okay? That's the only way, you're, if you've been justified, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and have been forgiven and made part of his family, the only way that you could not be or glorified in the end is if God stops being God which is an impossibility. All right, so, again, I believe that this passage, again, is not really primarily re even referring to, like, losing salvation. It's not even dealing with that. It's just saying, listen, the fact is this, that if you receive Christ, nothing else can add to your salvation. He he's saying it from that point of view. 
Now, what I thought we would do then is, well, what about the Old Testament? I mean, could people lose their salvation in the Old Testament? So let's look at a little bit on the Old, a little bit on the New, and then just wrap it up. In other words, I want you to see that in the entire book from Old to New, the plan of salvation has been the same. It has been consistent, and the person that gets saved in the Old as well as the New are equally secure. They were equally secure in the Old as, as they are in the New. Well, if you want to go to the Old, and this is an obvious thing, we've already studied it. Again, in the Old Testament, they were looking back, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Redeemer. Okay, they were looking forward to when the Redeemer would come, the Anointed One would come. And, and the classic example is um, Father Abraham, right? Remember when we studied in Genesis 15, and Abraham, and Abraham, what, what did he do? Believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Again, it wasn't works, it was belief. How about David? By the way, with Abraham, he didn't earn it. He only received it. I mean, you, you've got to see that, that in the Old Testament, it was very consistent that salvation was by faith. If, and if you want a whole list of people who were saved by faith, just go to Hebrews 11. We call it the Hall of Faith, right? But how about David? Again, he broke all the ten, basically all the ten commandments in his sin with Bathsheba. He murdered, deceit, lying, coveting. All the, all the commandments were broken in David's life. And do you remember how he... He, he finally was, you know, pointed out by Nathan, thou art the man. And then in, in Psalms 51, David confesses his heart to the Lord and he names his sin and he uses like five different verbs for sin. I mean, he was just, he was truly repentant, truly wanted for forgiveness. By the way, there was a lot of consequences for David's sin. But if, actually, why don't you go to Psalms 51? Because we're going to look at Psalms 51 verses 10 through 12. I mean, here's an Old Testament saint, grievously sinned against God, huge consequences. For the most part, from this point on, his kingdom starts to deteriorate. He has rebellion with his sons, you know, other enemies. I mean, there was huge consequences because of the sin with Bathsheba. However, he remained saved. That's the point I want to make. He remained saved. It wasn't like he was saved then unsaved because he was in the sin and now he you know, got saved again. Look at Psalms 51, verse 10. Again, after his confession, he says, Create in me a clean heart. And this is a saved person saying this. Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, a steadfast, a strong, focused path on you. That's the point. Do not cast me away from your presence. Now, what, is that un, be unsafe? No, no. Fellowship. <laughs> you ever feel like you've been cast from God's presence when you're walking in sin? To be honest with you, you aren't in fellowship with Him. He's talking about fellowship there. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh-oh, right there, that's it. He's unsaved. No, remember the Spirit. We're going to see this in a moment. The Spirit of God would come upon people and lead them. You see Him coming upon the people that were making the temple. You see Him coming upon Saul and leaving him, Samson leaving him, David leaving him. It was for power. When God wanted something done in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon a person to accomplish. What's David saying? I want to accomplish for you again. I'm, I'm fruitless. 
By the way, you're fruitless if you're walking in sin. But look at verse 12. Restore to me your salvation. No, the joy of your salvation. No, he was he understood he was saved, but he wasn't walk, he he had lost the the joy, the power, the fellowship, the usefulness. That's what was restored to to David when he confessed his sin. You, have, have you been there? You ever been there? And God's speaking to you, and God's working in your life, and you're rejecting Him. You know what's happening? You're losing the fellowship, and the joy, and the power, and the usefulness. If you're truly saved, you haven't lost your salvation. But you may feel, you may feel, and again, I use that word carefully, feel. Because again, God's presence is not overwhelming you. You may feel like you have been even abandoned by God. God hasn't abandoned you. But without His Spirit working in your life with fellowship and stuff, you'll feel that way. But you haven't lost it. Again, if you've, if you've truly received it. We know David was saved. Hebrews 11 says that he was part of the hall of faith. Okay? Let me give you one other one. Samson. Uh, if you want to turn there, Judges 16, verse 20. And this answers this question. This is why I'm bringing Samson into the scenario. The last of the Old Testament saints. Did the removal of the Holy Spirit mean a loss of salvation? And now again, I know that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon us forever. But there, the Holy Spirit would come upon for purposes of power, to accomplish something. And you know the story of Samson, very strong. Although the enemy said, where, does it, where is this power from? See, I personally think that Samson was a man that was a my stature or smaller. I don't think, you, you know, you see Samson, you know, in these cartoons and he's this big. I don't think that's true because they're asking, well, where does his power come from? Well, if he had that, they would say, well, I know where it comes from. No, no, the power of Samson, he was probably, in fact, J. Vernon McGee, you know, J. Vernon, he, he called him like a scrawny little man. He was just a scrawny little man. But the power of God would come on him and he could do great feats of strength because it was the power of God. But then there was, you know, and, and you know Samson's life, he kept going in and out of sin. Women were his downfall, okay? Women are a lot of men's downfall. And I mean that seriously. We have to guard ourselves. But women was his downfall. And finally, Delilah got at him. And after a number of testings and temptations, in chapter 16, verse 20, it says, And she, being Delilah, said, the, fear of the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Oh, that's a sad, that's a sad, that's a sad part in a person's life when you don't realize how far, far you have fallen and you're put in a situation to minister and to help and to, in, in Jesus' name and you find your power is gone. Well, that happens to a Christian, a New Testament Christian, when we're out of fellowship. Well, anyways, that's Samson. The, the Spirit left him. Now, he did, the Spirit came on him one last time at his death. But, but look over at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, since we've been mentioning it. I mean, look at all these people that are in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse, let's start with 30. And notice just, just the word faith. It's through faith that grace is given. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. 
By faith, the Herod Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now again, all that faith is not just faith in faith, it's faith in God, in the true Jehovah. Verse 32, And what, what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Shows that he's a believer in Jephthah, and also David and Samuel and prophets, and he goes on. But I wanted you to see his name, Samson. We know that Samson was saved even though the Spirit of the Lord left him. Because again, the Spirit would, in the Old Testament would come and go according to the need of power and the need to be useful. So was salvation in the Old Testament as secure as in the New Testament? Absolutely what? Yes. Absolutely yes. If you look at the Old Testament as being different than the New, wait a second, it's the same God. Same God. James says he never changes. He's unchangeable, Malachi says. No, same God, same Spirit, and by the way, same uh, channel for salvation, faith. It's just that they were looking forward and we are looking back to the cross. But it's the same salvation. So again, it's very, very important to see that in the Old Testament, it's consistent, okay? And we could look at a lot of examples. Those are three classic. Well, let's go back to Galatians. Galatians. Um, actually, we're going to be in Ephesians too. So that's a look at the Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament saints. New Testament. And the only thing, and we could come at this from a lot of different points of view. We're just going to look at it from one, and that is how the Holy Spirit seals us at the moment we get saved. It's the sealing, the guarantee of the Spirit of God. Now, again, I'm doing all this because when Galatians says, you have fallen from grace, I'm saying I, he's not making a judgment on their eternal security because I know what the Spirit of, do, Spirit of God does at the moment of salvation. He seals a believer, which means you can't, you can't break the seal because you haven't sealed yourself. God's Spirit has sealed you. Okay? Uh, if, yeah, let's, let's see here. Just go over a couple pages. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to look at the sealing of the Spirit. Uh, verse 13, in, who, in Him... By the way, this, this shows you the timing. As I read this, you're going to pick it up. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the timing. When were you saved? Well, when you heard, when you believed, at the moment of your salvation, that's when you were sealed. Again, it's simultaneous with believing. Sealing does not happen at a subsequent event. Some, 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 um, some churches, some people, some pastors teach, well, no, the sealing doesn't happen, the sealing of the Spirit, and by the way, the seal, like a letter, a seal, that's what I'm talking about. Like, remember when Jesus, it says in chapter 5 of Revelation, He opens the seal, he opens the scroll with the seven seals. And, and a lot of times what they would do with a, with a scroll, they would, um, like what they were referring to is you would have a scroll and you would roll it and seal it. Roll a little bit more, seal it. Roll a little bit more, seal it. Roll a little more, seal it. And what he's saying, he has a scroll with seven seals. They're not across the front of it. As you open it, you break a seal. That's why the, that's how the, 
the, the final judgment of earth. He opens the seals one at a time and they go on the earth. And, and what was it to do? It was to protect the document. It was to make sure it was authentic. It was to make sure that this document is mine and has not been tampered with. And so the Spirit of God seals us, marks us. When you get saved, He marks you with a seal. The Holy Spirit seals you. You're mine. And nothing's going to tamper with your salvation. Nothing's going to thwart God's purposes with you. I, mean, I don't know if that sends chills up your back, but it does mine. He picked me. He chose. He, you. And it happens the moment you get saved. But there's a second part. If you go to 2 Corinthians, and you can hold your hand in Ephesians 1. We're going to be Ephesians 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I know today there's a lot of verse turning, but I'd like to have you see them. Sometimes I mention it, and then it's like, Whoa, where was that at again? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Let me add a little bit more to this. Because we find out that the Spirit seals us, but the agent, the person doing it, is actually God the Father. Um, 2 Corinthians 1.22 Now he, I'm going to start with verse 21. Now he who establishes us with, with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So it's really this, it's God the Father that sends the Spirit to seal us. What you're seeing here is the entire Trinity is at work. Okay? And also says in Ephesians 4, verse 30, that the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Spirit of God is both sealing us and we're in the Spirit. In fact, uh, Charles Ryrie in his theology kind of explained this. He says basically this, we are sealed by the Spirit and in the Spirit. I want to get a little technical, but by the Spirit, in the Spirit. And he says this, Ryrie says this, it's like saying this. I went to the store in my car. What does it mean to go to the store in my car? You could mean by means of the car. You know, by the car. Viewing the car as the agent that took you to the store. Or you could mean by sitting in the car. Viewing the car as, as the enclosure in what you were taken. Actually, you did both. The car served as both the agent and the enclosure. Similarly, the Spirit did the sealing as the agent... And as a result, we are enclosed by Him. The point is that we're secure. Okay, that's the whole point. God gets you from this point to the end, glorification, and you're sealed by the Spirit. Are you more powerful than the Spirit? Well, let's look look at the duration. It says it at the end of, uh, actually, Ephesians 4.30. For time's sake, we won't keep turning. But it says this, until the day of redemption, which is talking about glorification. So the time, you're sealed at the moment of salvation by the Spirit because the Father did it. And it's going to last until the day of redemption, which is glorification. Totally solid. Why? Because I saved myself? No. Because God has His hand on you. So again, it's God's Spirit that puts His mark and he is, you're secure. As one man said, it's like registered mail. It's, what, what is registered mail? It's, it's, a, it's for security purposes, right? When you register a piece of mail, 
It not only has to be sealed carefully, but then the post office stamps it a number of times across the edges of the seal. I, I assume they still do this to be able to detect any tampering with that seal. Only two people can legitimately break the seal, the recipient or the sender. In the case of the believer, God is the sender and God is the recipient. And God is the only one that can unbreak the seal. God seals you with the Spirit. God the Father seals you with the Spirit based on Christ's sacrifice. And He'll carry out to the day of redemption, to the day that you get glorified, to the day you're in heaven. I'm secure in Christ. Well, not only that, but if you're in Corinthians, I think you're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, who, were sealed, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As a, some versions say, pledge. That word pledge is used also in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. We won't turn there. Ephesians 1.14. He's given us the, ple- uh, the, the seal, but also the guarantee, the pledge. That guarantee is the first down payment. That's what the word was used for. It's like if you buy something, you put a down payment saying, that's mine. I'll be back, but it's mine. You can't sell it to someone else because I've already started the payment process. So when it comes to us, the Spirit of God comes into our life, and it's the down payment. Now, what do you mean down payment? Not on the... We're not talking about the blood of Christ. That was sufficient. What do you mean down payment? Down payment in as far as your transformation. See, right now you still have issues. Man, I've never been in a group of people that have so many issues. <laughs> right? I mean, you're still in your, your body. You still struggle with sin. You may be praying, and all of a sudden somebody comes in mind that you don't even like, and you start... As you're praying to God, it's amazing how you know your flesh can raise its ugly head at moment. Well, what he did is, yes, at the moment of your salvation, you got sealed. But you may start thinking, man, me, I'm not saved. Because... No, no. It's the down payment because God hasn't finished with you yet. He's got to bring you to glorification when sin will no longer be part of your situation, Right? When you will have not only a completely new heart, but a completely new body and sin and death and destruction and all everything that we live around here is gone. So it's a down payment until your, your justification is complete. It's not down payment on justification like, well, there's got to be more. To, no, no. It's down payment on the redemption part. He's bought you, but he's got so much better stuff for you. You know, sometimes we look around the world and, and say, boy, isn't this, I, I, like yesterday, wasn't it a great day yesterday? Man, wasn't it beautiful? Man, wasn't it just marvelous? And do you know that we live in a sin-sick, cursed world? And we call this beautiful. And it is, by the way. But you th- can you imagine how much more glorious heaven is? This is a broken place. You're broken. And many of you are being become more and more broken as time goes on. But there's a coming a day for true believers. You'll get a new body. You'll have a new home. You've already been given a new name. See, this is just a down payment. That's the guarantee. It's a payment which obligates the contracting party to make further payments. God says, there's so much more ahead. I've given you, I've given you the Spirit right now. He's going to assure you of your salvation, conviction and all. But there's more ahead. So this seal and guarantee shows that we are secure, that God owns us, that He's over us. He's a, you know authority type thing. Many of you would say, well, man, why don't you just go to John chapter 10? Let's go to Gospel of John. We'll, we'll close out in Gospel of John. 
Actually, as you're, since we're in John, let's go to John 14 real quick because I can show you the Helper, the Holy Spirit, what Jesus said of the Helper. I should have turned here earlier. If you go to John 14, excuse me, verse 16. Verse 16, John 14, 16. I'll pray the Father and... No, notice, He will give you another helper. See, it's the Spirit of God is sent by the Father. He'll give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. And He, that He might abide with you, what? Forever. That the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. See, there's the agent, like the car. Car took you, but you're in the car. The Spirit took you, but you're in the Spirit. If you go to chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So there's the Spirit. Now, let's go to chapter 10. That's really where I want to end up. This is Jesus talking about how secure you are. In fact, when I talked, when I said, uh, when I said, uh, Wayne Ashball asked me, well, what are you preaching on Sunday? This was Friday. And I said, well, I was a security believer. Oh, I know that. It's in John 10. I think that's what, exactly what you said. I, I, that actually encouraged me. Man, someone can know exactly where a passage on eternal security from Jesus is. Look at verse 28. I'll give, I'll give them eternal life, Jesus speaking. John 10, 28. I give, I give unto them eternal life, and they will what? Sometimes perish. Maybe perish. Hopefully they will not perish. No, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Oh, I can jump out. Oh, I see. You're more, you're more powerful than God. Now, Jesus said, I will... They'll never. In fact, I think if you do a search, you can see the Father gave us to the Son to redeem us. He said, I will complete the transaction. I will die for their sin. The Spirit will come into your life. You are secure until the day of redemption. Don't, don't, don't worship me. Don't, don't do things because you think you're keeping your salvation. Do it out of love for me. In fact, I think that's what Paul's point is. I, let me close this down by saying this. I think there's an application of this idea of falling from grace in two ways. One is to unbelievers. An unbelie- if you're not a believer and you somehow think that you can Christ plus, you've fallen from grace. Because you're adding. But if you're a believer, this is how we can fall from grace. And I don't mean unsaved, right? We've just proved that your, your, your salvation is secure. But this is how we can fall from grace. We, we can go back to being a Pharisee. Thinking somehow we are earning something. We're doing it. For a believer, as one man said, it, it has to do with a person who generally trusts Christ for salvation, but then outwardly reverts to a life of legalism. Of living under external rituals, ceremonies, traditions that he carries out in his own strength, and instead of living with a spirit of obedience to Christ, he doesn't. He doesn't do it out of obedience. 
He exchanges life by grace for life back under the law. Life by faith for a life again by works. Life in freedom for a life of bondage. Life in the Spirit for a life back in the flesh. In other words, I have to do, and I have to do it, and God is counting on me to keep my salvation, or I have to do it to please God. And instead of being free in the Spirit, we become chained to the law. Legalism. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. Just legalism. This plays out in a lot of different ways. How about in our worship? When you worship, are you worshiping God from the heart out of a real fullness? I mean, was it good to be here at the beginning to worship God? Or are we doing it more of an outward? Well, I've got to be here. We've got to get through the first 15 minutes, and then we've got to get through his message. And, you know, at least then I can check off. I came to church, and, gee, I wonder if the roast is burning. You know, sometimes, again, that's Phariseeism. I'm here to impress others. Or if I'm singing and I'm not even paying attention to the words, I think that's external too, right? I'm just singing. If my heart is not being moved to obey, I mean, that's the great thing about music. It convicts you. Well, how about witnessing? I'll give you another one. If the intention is of seeing a person converted, trusting God through God's power, That's working by the Spirit. But you know, when it comes to witnessing, sometimes we try to do it by our own persuasion. We try to reduce the gospel to its simplest element and just get the person into heaven, then we'll deal with the rest. And that's really really going back to uh, legalism. It's not really, it's not depending on the Spirit of God to work through you. I guess the point of falling from grace is this the opposite of grace is legalism. And if we start to see in our life that we've put in all our you know, all our checks are being checked off. Even that. Get up in the morning, had devotions, check. Oh, I feel a little bit better before God. He's a little happier with me. Oh, I did spend 10 minutes and I did do the five minutes, and you know, the Christmas program thing. So I feel a little better about that. Okay, and yeah, when the, my worker, uh, you know, my employee, employer, you know, he was really irritating me, but at least I didn't blow. Now, I found in my heart, he's such an idiot, but, you know, I didn't say it. God's a little bit more happy with me. No, that's external. It's about the heart. It's about, Lord, you know what? It was great to get in your word. I learned. I fellowship with you. Lord, I, I, I want to go to prayer. And sometimes I don't. But Lord, I, I want to go more, you know, because I want to worship you. Because I love you, okay? And, and sure, I want to share. And sure, I want to do these things because I love you. That's why I do it. It's not for a checklist. And it's not as I get the checklist off or, you know, whatever your, your rank. There is no rank in Christianity. That's the great thing about it. I'm no more spiritual than you are as far as having to be, right? You understand what I'm saying? Maybe I said that wrong. The point is this. We're all on same footing. And some of you have been very sinful this last week. But if you're in Christ, you're on the same footing. Now, you're sinful and maybe God's chasing you. But the point is, if you stand before God, it's on grace. And we need to just keep going back to this. Lord, thank you that you save, you call me by grace, towards grace. You save me by grace, and I live by grace. The just shall live by faith. What? Faith in the grace of God. And Lord, I just depend on your grace. Now, if you're really depending on his grace, what's going to happen? You're, you're, you're going to produce fruit for him, right? Because your heart is saying, Lord, thank you. But it's all grace. So again, let's stand. And I hope that as you sing, it's not just let's get through this so I can get out of here. No, no. God has been gracious to you. He's given you something you did not deserve as far as salvation. The question is, are you?
Are you trusting in Jesus alone? Part of that said that we don't have to fear God's judgment, God's wrath. Do you fear God's wrath on your life? Are, are you under your sin? Or have, have you realized that you are a sinner, that Christ died for sinners, that's you, and that his death was sufficient to forgive your sins because he paid for them on the cross? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you received him? And if you haven't, it's a simple and I say simple in the sense that it's receiving him. Now, remember, he's Lord. He's God. And he says, I want to buy you, which means that makes you his. By the way, remember that, Christians, that if you receive Christ, you're not your own. You're his. He wants to use you. But it is simple in the fact that you receive him. Lord, I'm a sinner. I want your sacrifice. I want to receive your forgiveness. I call upon you because you're the only Savior. I accept you. I receive you. Have you done that? I trust you have. And if you have, then continue to walk in that grace. Don't somehow start switching gears because sometimes we do and thinking, well, I've got to do this, this, and this, and this to keep pleasing God. We're pleasing in God if we're in Jesus Christ, period. And in that we should rejoice and say amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that you keep coming, bringing us back to grace. Lord, we want to walk down that path of being a Pharisee periodically. We want to put up that list of check marks to show that we're a good Christian. And yet reality is we need to obey you, no question. But help us to always walk knowing that we're walking because of your grace. Lord, as we seek to minister for you, as we seek to, to learn and worship, I pray that we would be totally dependent on your spirit working through us. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to teach us about grace because, again, it's so easy to add works even to our own salvation in the sense of wanting to do something outside of your power. Bring us back to grace so that we might glorify you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.